the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hi, I'm Dana Torts, and welcome to another episode of the Truth in My Days radio program. Today, I'm here with John Torts and Jason Chan as they discuss the important topic of creation and evolution. We are continuing from the previous episode. We hope you enjoy. From that book. Most scientists believe that the first forms of life were extremely simple and probably appeared through a series of random chemical reactions nearly four million million years ago. Important evidence for this idea came in 1953 when an American chemist named Stanley Miller carried out a crucial experiment. He constructed a sealed chamber that imitated conditions on the early earth. When he analyzed the substances that were produced, he discovered several chemical building blocks that are normally made only by living things. So even in that short paragraph, you can now identify at least four or five things here that are just absolutely not true, but they keep getting fed out. Every book you find for children, this one called Evolution, subtitled How We and All Living Things Came to Be, you look into it, hoping to find out how living things came to be, they never tell you. You have stuff like this. This was published in National Post some years back. Whole new theory on life with whole spelled H-O-L-E. And they're looking at a Arctic meteor crater, a place where a meteor hit Earth in the Arctic a long time ago. And they found microbes in them. And they're, they're saying, oh, maybe this is how it happened. Now, they admit that the microbes were there all along and they just migrated into this crater. Mm -hmm. So they're already there and they're already alive. So this doesn't actually tell you how life came about on Earth. Another good example, the physicist Paul Davies, well-known uh, author, popularizer of physics in his book called The Fifth Miracle, The Search for the Origin and Meaning of Life. He tells us, uh, and this is some descriptive literature for the book, says Davies no longer believes that we're close to wrapping up the mystery of life's origins. We have a good idea of the where and the when, he says, but we are a very long way from comprehending the how. And then it goes on to say his own belief is that the answer will be found in some, quote, profoundly new and amazing theory. So here, here you have it. They don't understand how it happened because it violates science. There's no scientific way for it to happen. So they now have to hold out for some kind of profoundly new and amazing theory. And theories that violate laws are bogus. So this is pretty much an admission that they're stuck, that they, they don't have an explanation. They can have an explanation. So when we look at those four essential steps for the theory of evolution, step number three, the cell must come to life. Well, that one's a failure also and has to be tossed. Now, here's the thing. So you're an atheist, you're backed into a corner. You might say, well, okay, we'll go to deism. We'll say, yeah, true, that was a God. You couldn't have had these chemicals formed by themselves. You couldn't have them self-assemble into a cell. It couldn't come to life. So, okay, we'll have a God to do those things. And then God's left town. He doesn't care anymore. We don't have to worry about God. We've got that first cell now, and organic evolution takes over from there. Is that possible? Because now we've got come to the fourth step that we looked at, which is the DNA coding of this cell must develop vast amounts of qualitatively new genetic data. What we mean by this is, let's suppose you have the, the first cell, it has this coding in it, the DNA. 
But a single cell doesn't have a lot of coding in it. Uh, a lot for a cell. But when you think about multicellular organisms, you think about things like skin and hair and how they come together in structures. Where's the coding for that? Well, you're going to need more coding. Where does it come from? In Darwin's day, it wasn't much of an issue because in Darwin's day, they simply thought that the cell is a very, very simple thing. They didn't understand how it's built. They didn't understand anything about DNA. They thought essentially it's a bag of jello. And they could see, yeah, how, how, sure, why not have a bag of jello come about in a, a warm primordial pond? But now we know that the cell is actually an extremely complex information processing integrated system. It has information on it, in it. And the old understanding used to be that there are two fundamental entities in the world, and the two were matter and energy. And everything in the world could be understood as some kind of combination of, or interaction of matter and energy. But the new understanding is there are actually three fundamental entities or three fundamental quantities. There's matter, there's energy, and there's information. Information is not simply a product of matter and energy. And it's actually easy to see that when you look into it. Imagine if you have in your home magnetic letters, right? The little plastic letters with magnets on the back. You can stick them in the fridge door. Kids like to play with them. And you can take a couple dozen of these and put them on your fridge door. And they have a certain amount of matter and they have a certain amount of energy. They don't tell you anything. It's just a bunch of random letters. Now you can take those letters and rearrange them to give you some kind of message. It could say, I am happy today. Has the amount of matter in these letters changed? No. The amount of energy? No. But do they now say something that they didn't say before? Indeed. So they are conveying information. And so now the new understanding is, yes, information is a separate quantity. It can't be explained just by interaction of matter and energy. And so they have to explain where the information came from. Point of fact, the information is... Uh, in the DNA is, is a lot of it and a very complex. And so the evolutionist has to explain two things. He has to explain where the information in the first functioning cell came from. Now, if you're going to go the deist route and say, well, God made it, then you don't have to worry about that part. But you do have to explain where did you get this increase in qualitative, meaningful information Increase from the DNA in the first cell to the DNA in your higher organisms. You have to figure out where that came from. Now, something more about fundamentals of science. When scientists are investigating something that they can't observe in real time, you can't study by proper scientific matter, you are looking at something that happened at one point in the past and it's not repeatable, then what they have to do here is they to make what they call the inference to the best explanation, which for, for whatever you're observing, what is the best explanation? And broadly speaking, there are three possible types of phenomena and therefore three possible explanations. And that's really all there is because there are certain things that always happen. And we could call the probability of that being one out of one. If I drop the pen, it will always fall to the table. I drop the apple, it will always fall. Uh, these are things that always happen. They're certain. There are things which never happen. They're impossible. Yeah, I can put the pen on the table. It will never turn curly cues and fly to the moon. 
and probability there is zero. Zero point zero out of one. And then the third thing is what's in between them. And these are things that sometimes happen, sometimes they don't happen. The possibility of it is greater than zero, less than one. It could be 50-50, like flipping a coin. These are random. Flip a coin, comes up heads, why to come heads? Well, that was one possibility, and it happened to be that one this time. 50 you know, or 0.5 in, in our scale, chance of that coming heads or tails. Now, some things would be closer to zero. They're much more unlikely. Some things are closer to one. They're much more likely. If you have, say, Kyle Lowry throwing a free throw, his chance of, of hitting, it'll be somewhere around 0.8. You have John Torres throwing a free throw. His chance would somewhere be around like 0.05, much less likely. So these are the three. You have that which always happens, that's certain. That which never happens is impossible. And that which sometimes happens is possible. And these three explanations are designated as necessity, design, and chance. And necessity is the one that always has to happen because there's some law of nature that dictates it, like the apple falling. Well, that's the law of gravity. It has to happen. It's necessity. If it may or may not happen, it's a random event, that's chance. Okay? May happen, may not happen. This time it just happened to happen. And then the third one, if it cannot happen on its own, it can only happen then if some intelligent agent purposely made it happen, and that we call design. So these are the three. When you look at something in the past, for the scientist, he has to make the inference to the best explanation. It has to be necessity, chance, or design. We, we could illustrate these three. For example, I flip a coin. I flip the coin and it comes down heads. Why did it come down heads? Is it necessity, chance, or design? Chance. Generally, you think chance, but suppose I'm one of those uh, crooked gamblers and I have a two-headed coin. Mm, then which one was it? Then it would be design. Or it would be necessity. It has <laughs> to come down. Okay. Uh, yeah. The flip is still just flipping, but it has to come down because there's no other option. If I flip it, I want it to come up heads, and I have a regular coin, and I flip it, and I mm. see it's falling, falling, and it looks like it's going to land on tail, so I poke it with my finger just before it lands and push it over on the heads. Mm, then you have design. Another example, you're a homicide detective. You've come to a circus. They had a high wire act, some guy walking way up on a tightrope, and the, the rope broke as he was walking on it, and he fell to his death. And you have to figure out, was, was this an accident, uh, just an unfortunate happenstance, or was it murder? So you have to figure out, was it necessity, chance, or design? So you do your investigation, and you find that this rope is guaranteed to hold up to 300 pounds. Now, the guy's a 200-pound walker, so it should hold him. But you know, so you're a mechanical engineer, you know that... Uh, things break down over time. Yeah, things break down over time. And plus, your manufacturing process isn't perfect. Every once in a while, you get a dud. And he happened to get a dud. It was just chance. It was just a chance, a random event. Very unfortunate. On the other hand, it's rated to hold up to 300 pounds. And you find that the tightrope walker was a 400-pound man. Which is the explanation now? There's no way it couldn't break. It was a necessity. Necessity. It had to break, right? Couldn't hold up 400 pounds. Third option, you look at the rope 
and you notice that it didn't break cleanly. It was somebody had actually cut it three quarters of the way through. So for sure that one quarter left couldn't hold them up. Which one is it then? Somebody purposely cut it, so design. Design, which means it was murder. So there you go. This is how it operates. And scientists do this all the time. Those famous cave paintings on the wall of a cave that were discovered at Lascaux in uh, France. And people look at it and you see these little paintings of, of deer and little kind of stick men holding bows and arrows. How did these paintings come about? Necessity, chance, or design? Well, there's no question, is there? How did they come about? Yeah, somebody obviously drew them. Yeah. yeah. We, we could say it's necessity. We could say there's some kind of law of nature that makes pigments stick together so they just happen to look exactly like deer and stick men with bows and arrows. But of course, that would be ridiculous. We could say it's chance. Somebody threw some pigments against the wall and they trickled down and somehow the little bumps in the wall just happened to make them form these patterns that look exactly like deer and stick men with bows and arrows. And that would be seen as ridiculous. You see even this amount of design in a phenomenon and you know somebody did it. So with that understanding, then we look at this fourth step. Where did the DNA coding come from in the cell? The usual story you hear is that it is we mentioned this before, natural selection acting on random variation. As DNA mutates, and it can mutate from external factors like radioactivity or copying errors when the cell's reproducing, but they're not directed, they just happen. This is chance. Thank you everyone for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part tomorrow. Same time and same place. If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. We would love to hear from you. Please feel free to share any questions or comments you may have. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, MeWe, and YouTube. Simply search Truth In My Days as one word. Again, Truth In My Days as one word, no spaces in between. And you can connect with us. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you. 